0: In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Ceci.
2: And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket.
1: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems.
3: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: All right, legal team. Super excited for today's episode and then also for my fabulous co host, Ceci, who is still in trial. She is doing an amazing job and It's a really, really interesting case. She killed it at her recent direct examination of a witness, and everybody should just be really proud of her. So while we miss her, I have my husband here to read things into the record, so to speak. So it's not just my voice talking. And then I collaborated with multiple Florida law attorneys that have provided some really interesting information and context. And I want to say thank you to everyone that reached out for my request for collaboration. I also want to thank everyone for their patience with any rustling or page flipping and any wonky editing. John and I are sitting right next to each other, passing the microphone back and forth and Instead of looking at a computer screen, I've printed everything out. So you might hear some of that. So thank you in advance for your patience. All right. So we are covering the Hochstein divorce on The Real Housewives of Miami. As you know, that's been a major storyline. And if you don't watch the show, you're still going to like this episode because there's some really interesting divorce stuff that we're going to go through. My husband's name is John, and he would like to introduce himself.
0: Hello. My name is John. Introduction done.
2: All right, brief and accurate. One of the first things I want to talk about is the fact that family law is hard. Being an attorney can be very stressful and difficult in general, but practicing family law can be particularly difficult. One of the things I wanted to do before jumping into all of this was give some examples and just talk about the practice of family law in general. I wanted to bring up a book that was written by James J. Sexton Esquire. Described by former clients as a courtroom gunslinger and, quote, the sociopath you want on your side, his expertise in the law is matched only by his counsel for relationship advice. And this is in a blurb promoting his book. His best-selling book, If You're In My Office, It's Already Too Late, recounts the cases he's handled and offers unique insights into how married couples can maintain their relationships before they end up in his office as a client. Though he deals constantly with the heartbreak of others, he still believes in romance and the transformative power of love. A longtime advocate for marriage equality and LGBTQ plus individuals and families, Sexton is a popular speaker at the annual Lavender Law Conference, which is the largest national symposium for LGBT legal issues. This is from the New York Times book review. Quote, who would have guessed that the person who gives the best legal advice about marriage was the guy responsible for getting you out of yours? And then there's some quotes I wanted to include in here because I I agree with these from my experience, just practicing law in general, and then also from my friends who have family law practices, and then also the family law attorneys that I collaborated with for this episode. This is a quote from Sexton: quote, much of our job is to protect clients from themselves. We have to see their case objectively both from their side and from that of their spouse or their spouse's counsel, who I always imagine is a smarter and harder working version of myself just to be safe and keep me sharp. Side note, that is a very, very good thing to do. If you have just started out practicing law, if you're a young attorney, never count on the other side to be lazy or not do the work. Always think of them as potentially working harder than you and being smarter than you and being better than you and then hold yourself up to that standard. Here's another quote from Sexton. We help them identify what's an emotional issue and what's a legal issue to help them understand that ultimately getting divorced is fairly awful, but a post-divorce life can be fulfilling. More so if you don't set fire to everything you have an attempt to hurt the other side for hurting you. Every divorce is a multivariate equation. It's a chess match with real life consequences. All divorce lawyers, like all chess players, know the same moves and are simultaneously attempting to attack and defend. The best of us see five to ten moves ahead. The worst of us are like our clients, who usually just see the most obvious move on the board and want to win whatever piece can be taken at that moment, even if it walks us right into the other side's checkmate. That's helpful advice for any practicing attorney. (laughs) So there's a really interesting, fun, sad, but comical Reddit thread... That was divorce attorneys talking about some of their circumstances in their cases. And I wanted to share a couple of those. And these are ostensibly all from divorce attorneys. John, do you want to read some of these examples from Reddit? I would love to. You have to say that into the microphone.
0: I would love to. Right here. Mm -hmm. One guy had his wife served with the divorce papers while she was in the hospital undergoing cancer treatment. She had no idea he wanted a divorce.
2: Which, by the way... I have heard a lot of anecdotal evidence from nurses and medical professionals that that's not super uncommon if a wife goes through cancer treatment or some other terrible illness, which is just awful. Men do better.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't leave you during cancer. I want you to know that. Thank you. All right. All right. Next one. One guy wanted a provision in his divorce that said his sons couldn't watch NASCAR because the wife's new boyfriend was into NASCAR. In the same case, the property division was so contentious that the judge had the parties list every piece of furniture in the house and try to work through who would get what. The guy made sure that he wanted everything she did, down to things like lace dollies, her grandma... Doilies. Thank you. <laughs> What's a do- dolly? dolly? Uh, down to things like lace dollies. No, do- doilies. <laughs> oh, my God. Everything that she did, down to things like lace doilies, her grandma made, and some trophies she won in a woman's shooting competition. Quote, I bought her the gun, so it's pretty much my trophy.
2: Oh, but there's more.
0: Another guy wanted no custody and no visitation with his four sons until he learned how much child support would be. Then he wanted full custody with no visitation for the wife in the hope that she'd have to pay him child support.
2: I thought this next example was particularly, I guess, illustrative of how awful and contentious things can be and how much divorce proceedings could bring out the worst in people.
0: Had a husband and wife go toe-to-toe over an ashtray they got in Vegas at some point. Neither smoked, strangely enough. Spent nearly $5,000 for me and another attorney to duke it out in court over the silly thing. Prior to proceeding, I explained what the cost would be to argue over something silly like this and that he could give me 2500 and I would fly to Vegas for the weekend and get him an identical one instead. He said he didn't care about the cost because he intended to smash it up in front of her if he won. We won, and he followed through with the smashing. He laughed and said the look on her face was worth much more than $2,500.
2: Another attorney commented on the Reddit thread and said the following.
0: I only did divorces for about a year before I moved on to mortgage foreclosures. Those are far less depressing.
2: So who are these people? John, do you have any idea who Lisa and Lenny Hochstein are?
0: I have a basic knowledge of it from what you've shown me, snippets on television. But coming into this, I am the uh, average... Joe, who doesn't know really anything about these people.
2: So I want to start by giving a little background on both these people in case you've never watched Miami. And also just because I thought it was interesting to look up some things about them that aren't necessarily related to the divorce. We did do an episode on medical malpractice, and we talked about Lenny Hochstein in that episode. So if you're interested in more details on his other types of lawsuits, go back and listen to that one. I thought it was a pretty good episode. All right. This is a blurb from Lenny's website. And it's titled in very large font, Celebrity Boob God TM. John, could you read Dr. Hochstein's own blurb about himself on his website?
0: Yeah, I would have been very uh, put out if you did not let me read Celebrity Boob God, so. All right. Dr. Leonard M. Hochstein is board-certified plastic surgeon, and for over 20 years, he has focused his plastic surgery career on primary and revision breast augmentation surgeries. During his plastic surgery career... Dr. Hoxstein has performed more than 27,000 breast surgeries, including breast augmentation, breast revision, breast lift, breast reduction, and gina mastasia, male breast reduction. Due to the number of breast procedures he has performed throughout the years, Dr. Hoxstein has been affectionately named the boob god by various media and print outlets.
2: What do you think about the nickname the boob god, John?
0: I really think that depends on why you're being called the boob god <laughs> All right. As that's, a male in that's particular. It, okay,
2: that's enough. <laughs> so a little bit more about the background of Dr. Hogstein. It says, Dr. Leonard Hogstein's exemplary career, and again, this is from his website, started straight out of high school when he was able to apply directly to medical school as a merit scholar high school student. He attended Louisiana State University Medical Center, where he trained with the Department of Surgery and published his first scientific paper. In 1990, he graduated as valedictorian of his class and received his doctor of medicine degree. Between 1990 and 1995, Dr. Hochstein trained in general and trauma surgery at Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas, Texas. In 1995, Dr. Hochstein served as a chief surgical resident at Parkland Memorial. During this time, he published scientific papers, several of which were printed by the Annuals of Plastic Surgery. He received the Academic Award from the University of Miami for achieving the highest score on the Plastic Surgery in Service exam, which is an exam taken by every resident plastic surgeon worldwide. Now, doctor, listeners, medical student, listeners, any medical people on our legal team, I'd be very curious when we post about this episode, if you would comment and let us know exactly how impressive that is, because I don't, I don't actually know. I also thought it was funny. I looked at his um, CV. As attorneys, we're very familiar with CVs because we produce them for experts. We look at them to evaluate experts. We go over them in detail when we're hiring experts in legal cases. And I thought it was funny that he included the fact that he was a merit scholar in high school and that he was New Jersey mathematics competition representative from 1980 to 1983. Most people don't include their high school stuff on their CV, especially somebody with as many advanced degrees and certifications as Lenny, so I just thought that was kind of funny. Moving on to Lisa. Now, I tried to find more information than this on Lisa. I wanted to include information about her childhood, education, background, hobbies, interests, and I honestly couldn't find much, and I don't know if that's because Lisa really hasn't shared that information or because she's only asked questions about her fertility, children, husband and reality TV career. But they were in very different bargaining positions, and we'll get to that when we talk about the assets that they had to disclose for the prenup and just the relative age of the parties and education and everything else. I really kind of wanted to fill her out more as a person other than just who we see on TV and there just wasn't a lot out there. So, either she's been really good at keeping things private or she just hasn't been asked the right questions or just doesn't want to share it. I don't know. Lisa Hochstein was born in Canada on July 24th, 1982. And prior to becoming a reality television celebrity, Lisa took part in beauty pageants and became a model. I think she was Miss Canadian Bikini or something like that. At the height of her modeling career, she was a Playboy playmate. She appeared in Playboy on three occasions. Twice in 2006 and one in 2007, Lisa said she enjoyed posing for Playboy and that she admired the professionalism of those working in the magazine, but she admitted to rushing into posing at such a young age. Lisa said, quote, I actually met my husband when I was on vacation in Las Vegas. We decided to take a chance on love. So I decided to move to Miami. It was never on my radar to move here. A lot of this timeline is from an article on People.com, and it's the Lisa Hochstein and Lenny Hochstein relationship timeline. According to this article in People, on October 24, 2007, Lisa and Lenny go on their first date. And then on June 2008, Lisa and Lenny got engaged. And for the next part, I want to specifically thank Colleen McIntosh from the McIntosh Law Group. She is a attorney in Florida, and she works in the Tampa area, and she practiced in family law, but now specializes in estates and trusts. And Colleen was able to find the entire prenuptial agreement attached, we think accidentally, to a pleading. Two other attorneys that had offered to collaborate on this, and as well as myself, had gone through the pleadings hoping to find a full copy of the prenup. But Colleen was on it and she found it. And we will post the entire thing with some redactions for privacy reasons on our Patreon. On October 15th, 2009, the prenup was signed. We've covered these in Instagram posts and in other episodes, but it's a contract. The general rules of contract law apply. John is going to read some of the provisions of the prenup for it.
0: Assets acquired during marriage. Except as otherwise provided in this agreement, if the parties acquired property during the marriage, the manner in which property is titled during the marriage shall control its ownership and distribution on dissolution of marriage, separation, or death of either party.
2: And that will obviously become very important later. It also notes that except as otherwise provided in this agreement, any personal property purchased during the marriage that does not normally have a title or ownership certificate, for example, appliances, furniture, furnishings, shall be considered joint property. The prenuptial agreement also states that earnings and income during the marriage are made the separate property of the person to whom the earnings and accumulations are attributable. I always think these are interesting in prenups. It says... If after the parties are married, a final judgment of dissolution of marriage is entered, dissolving the marriage and becomes final in all respects, Hochstein shall transfer to McCallum, which is Lisa's maiden name, the following. So if Lisa and Lenny got divorced within three months of getting married, Lisa would get 125000 dollars If it lasts one year it's two hundred and fifty thousand. If it lasts two years is three hundred years, six hundred and twenty-five thousand. And then it goes on and it keeps going up. If the marriage lasts ten years, it's a million five that is paid out. And then it says if the marriage lasts more than 10 years, the payment shall increase by the amount of 200,000 per year past the 10 year mark. Lisa and Lenny had been married for 13 years at the time of the divorce.
0: Angela and I have a very similar setup to our marriage. Not? Um, but I'm the one that gets the money.
2: John, shut
0: up. So just wanted everyone to know they're out there in podcast land.
2: Don't listen to him.
0: <laughs> what? That would be funny. I won't say anything else, I promise. But what (laughs) You're just making me sound bad. All right, I love you. Can you, please?
2: I thought paragraph 15 was interesting, if you would like to read that one, John.
0: I would love to. Hochstein shall grant McCollum an allowance of $1,000 per week to spend as she sees fit. This allowance terminates upon separation of the parties or dissolution of the marriage.
2: I mean, that's not even a purse a month. For Lisa, <laughs> with the amounts she yeah, likes but to she spend, if she just
0: like went to Subway and ate, you know, like that was your meal for like the week.
2: You have to talk into the thing. So. No, no, you, but you just—if you want to talk, you have to talk directly I into know, it. I know. John, would you like to read paragraph thirteen regarding temporary support?
0: I would temporary support. In the event either parties files for a dissolution of marriage or if McCallum files an action for separate maintenance, McCallum agrees to vacate the marital home then occupied by the parties within 30 days of such filing or upon the entry of a final judgment of dissolution of marriage, whichever first occurs. Upon the filing of an appropriate pleading, satisfactory to Hochstein's attorneys, in which McCallum specifically informs the court that she accepts this agreement in all respects and is not changing it in whole or in part, Hochstein agrees to pay McCallum, and McCallum agrees to accept from Hochstein $10,000 per month as temporary support for a maximum period of six months or until the entry of a final judgment, whichever period is shorter. In regard to this temporary support, the entire $10,000 per month temporary support payment shall be deducted from the settlement amount described in paragraph 12 above.
2: You did a really good job. Reading, Thank you. I'm
0: really proud of myself.
2: Reading here, that sure. legal language. So this is a pretty garbage deal for Lisa. And I will note right now that in the various pleadings that have been filed in this case, arguing over the prenup, any argues that they had several months with which to negotiate this prenup and that Lisa had her own legal counsel. I also note that specifically in the prenuptial agreement that each party had their own legal counsel. But I will also note that the prenup wasn't signed until 10 days before the wedding, which would normally be like a huge red flag signing it under duress. But because there's been some pretty specific allegations of how long they were negotiating over this, that gives that less weight, the fact that it was signed so close to their actual wedding date. And we also don't know what went on. Lisa could have just been kind of not taking this seriously, maybe not responding to her attorney quickly with things that she wanted and needed and maybe didn't take her attorney's advice. The prenup also states that all gifts of jewelry and other items provided by Lenny shall remain the exclusive and sole property of Lisa and shall not be deemed marital property. And then it also said that Lenny shall pay for all reasonable tuition, books, and school expenses incurred by Lisa during the course of the marriage. Now, I would have taken full advantage of that. I would have gotten like two PhDs. Did she
0: take advantage of that at all? Did she go to school at all? Did she take advantage of the education fund he was providing in this?
2: Not to my knowledge. I don't see anything in there. I'd seriously, I would have like two PhDs in the most obscure, fun, interesting things if I had somebody to fund all You didn't see it. her
0: during the Housewives go to like a, a night class at any time or some sort of creative writing course?
2: This sounds kind of judgy, John.
0: I'm just asking. I'm curious.
2: You just, you sound a little judgy.
0: Well, I'm a judgy person.
2: Now attached to the prenup are the financial disclosures and they're, these are pretty interesting. They're both handwritten, it appears, by Lisa and Lenny and then- so the prenup was signed on October 15th, 2009, and Lenny filled out this financial disclosure on February 12th, 2009. So this does really seem to indicate that they were negotiating over this for some time before it was formally signed. In 2009, Lenny listed his total liabilities as 4300000 which, you know, meaning like mortgages, things like that, that are owed. He said he had $40,000 of cash on hand, half a million in stocks and securities, 15 million in real estate, 200,000 in automobiles, and then it says other assets itemized, and it just says boat. (laughs) doesn't say what kind. just says boat, $145,000. Then he just lists his personal information, his business or occupation. He just writes surgeon. Lisa, and I, I don't see the date on here for when she filled this out, but Lisa lists her business or occupation as unemployed, She lists her cash on hand as $123,000, which is pretty good. I think she was only 26. She lists her other assets as a $32,000 Escalade truck, an engagement ring worth $110,000, a diamond necklace worth $4,000, diamond earrings worth $30,000, and a Rolex watch worth $18,000. And there's not a whole lot else on here for her. Assets and liabilities. On October 24th, 2009, Lisa and Lenny get married. And again, that's 10 days after signing the prenup. Lisa was only 26 years old, while Lenny was 42 years old. That's a 16-year age difference. Side note, there's currently a 29-year age difference between Lenny and his new girlfriend. On September 13th, 2012, Lisa and Lenny make their debut on The Real Housewives of Miami. Lisa, while she was on the show, was really forthcoming about her fertility struggles. And in an interview, she stated that since tying the knot in 2009, Lisa and Lenny had hoped to expand their family by 2013, but due to unknown medical complications, she struggled to conceive. Quote, we are still actively trying the IVF, she told your tango at the time quote we're going to do another cycle and we're always trying things that are different during an episode of the real housewives of miami lisa voiced her concerns over her inability to conceive and the potential effect it could have on her marriage quote i'm not speaking for everyone but many times men ultimately get married because they want to start that family although lenny never voiced that he would leave me i know it's a very important thing for himself and myself to have children however in july 3rd 2015 lisa and lenny welcomed their first child logan via a surrogate and then on September 16, 2019, Lisa and Lenny welcomed their second child, also through a surrogate. John, tell us about when the divorce rumors started.
0: All right. Uh, the divorce rumors started May 11, 2022. Lenny arrived at a Miami nightclub with Austrian model Katerina Mazeppa, who Page Six reported was his quote unquote new girlfriend. While the reality star showed up an hour later with co-star Larza Pippen by her side.
2: So May 16, 2022, Lisa and Lenny confirmed their breakup. May 23rd, Lenny files for divorce from Lisa, and then pretty shortly thereafter, Lenny files a motion to kick Lisa out of the house. This is titled, Husband's Motion to Establish Separate Residences, and Lenny's legal argument for this is the provision in the prenup that says that Lisa would leave the premises within 30 days of either side filing for divorce. Now, obviously, when the prenup was signed, they didn't have children. The children really complicate things for Lenny with trying to kick Lisa out of the house. Florida, like a lot of states, has the best interest of the children standard. And Lisa's agreement to leave within 30 days in that prenup didn't contemplate the fact at the time and couldn't that they would have children in the future. The fact that Lenny wants her to leave the house where the kids have been living their entire lives because he decided he wanted a divorce and he decided. To have a new girlfriend it's not isn't 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 a great look it's not great
0: no i would agree with that that's not how you should do that breakouts could be handled a little bit more some more nuance
2: but again we don't know what went on behind the scenes there's some pretty interesting claims that lenny and his new girlfriend have made in legal pleadings about what lisa did and did not know before the divorce was filed however I think Lenny's really setting himself up to fail by trying to get her out of the house, which, by the way, hasn't been successful.
0: Was it the kids? Is that the reason that it's then a difficult thing? That
2: I mean, I think it would be difficult anyway. I would have never agreed to a prenup in any circumstance, saying, "Oh yeah, if I decide to divorce you, you have to leave the house in thirty days." Moving stressful enough as it is, and I think I've talked before how whoever files first. For divorce has a huge advantage. For one, you're emotionally and mentally prepared for what's gonna happen. Two, you've got your finances in order. You probably have a ton of the documents filled out already. You already have the legal advice from your attorney and you're prepared. And then especially if the filing comes as a surprise, that's a huge disadvantage to the surprise party. Because not only are you not emotionally prepared, you're not financially prepared the way the other party is because they've already met with an attorney. They've already gone through the pleadings. They already know so much more. And then you're playing catch up while you're dealing with the shock of having to be divorced from someone who promised to love you forever. So this is titled Husband's Motion to Establish Separate Residences. Would you like to read this, John?
0: I would love to. The husband requests that the court enter an order that establishes a date certain by which the wife will vacate the marital residence. The parties agreed, and it is set forth in their prenuptial agreements, that in the event of a dissolution of marriage, the husband is entitled to retain the residence where the parties presently reside, which is titled in his sole name as his separate property, free from any claim by the wife. The parties also agreed, and it is set forth in their prenuptial agreement, that in the event either party initiates dissolution of marriage proceedings, the wife will vacate the marital home, then occupied by the parties within 30 days of such filing. The wife has indicated she currently does not intend to vacate the marital house.
2: And I'm pretty sure that's not how Lisa put that. i sure she was like, you could drag me out of here by my cold, dead hand.
0: Well, haven't you also, when you talked about people divorcing, too, that the last thing you ever want to do is to vacate the premises or leave the house? Like you should fight to stay in the house during a divorce?
2: I'm not giving legal advice here. Talk to an attorney that specializes in family law and divorce law in your area. But generally, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage if you voluntarily leave and give the other person full rights to the home. So again, not legal advice. You need to talk to an attorney in your area. And we talked about this in our Bethany divorce episodes about how they were obviously both following the advice of their attorneys to not vacate the Tribeca condo that they fought so hard over. And that is just messy. Living with someone in those circumstances is not pleasant. So on July 20th, 2022, Lisa responded to Lenny's motion to establish separate residences. And this is titled, Wife's Verified Response to Husband's Motion to Establish Separate Residences and Wife's Cross Motion for Exclusive Use and Possession of Former Marital Residents for Temporary Timesharing Plan Safeguards and Parameters. Side note, I guess this is common vernacular in Florida to refer to separating up the time spent with children as timesharing, but that just sounds weird to me, like the children are a timeshare condo in Capoco or something.
0: Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me as
1: well, yeah.
2: So Lisa points out that the husband's motion to establish separate residences is wholly predicated on the existence of a valid and enforceable prenuptial agreement. And then she makes several arguments as to why the prenuptial agreement should not be enforced by the court. Lisa argues that it would be problematic and contrary to Florida law for the court to enforce any provision of the prenuptial agreement. And she asks that the court conduct an evidentiary hearing to determine the validity or invalidity of their prenuptial agreement. Lisa points out that under Florida law, the courts must take the best interest of the child and points out that the children have lived in that residence their entire lives. And forcing Lisa to move out with the children in 30 days would just be awful and contrary to Florida law. And then there's several cases cited from Florida law declining to follow the party's agreement holding the issues related to child Support, parental responsibility, and custody are ultimately decided by the court based on what is the best interest of the child pursuant to the guidelines sent forth in blah, 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 the statute. And a lot of states have the best interest of the child standard. Lisa points out that in order for the court to grant the relief, forcing her to leave the home, the court would have to determine that the prenuptial agreement is valid and enforceable and that it does not infringe upon the minor children's rights. Lisa also points out that the husband has secured his own new residence at the luxury residential skyscraper known as the Continuum on South Beach. I'm all kinds of nosy, so I had to Google how much these cost, and they are not cheap. For example, two-bedroom units in the Continuum go for between seven to $8 million for a lot of them. On July twenty-first, 2022, Lenny files a response to Lisa's demand to stay in the home. And I'm going to have John read some of this again. Want to thank Colleen McIntosh, the Florida family law, estates and trust attorney in the Tampa area, at the McIntosh Law Group, for pointing out these footnotes because they are, in fact, pretty entertaining to read in this pleading. I'm going to read some selected excerpts, and John, go right ahead.
0: Okay. In lieu of complying with the prenuptial agreement, she negotiated and signed while represented by highly competent counsel, the wife demands the court enjoin the husband from exposing the children to his presumed girlfriend and award her exclusive use and possession of the formal marital residence. It is to that motion this response is directed. The husband has not introduced, quote unquote, exposed the children to his girlfriend. He will notify the wife and he will first seek the independent advice of a qualified mental health professional before he does so.
2: So I just want to note some of the footnotes here. I'm going to have John read these. Read footnote one and two, please.
0: Okay. Since the inception of these proceedings, the husband's court filings have been succinct, disciplined, and quite frankly, kind. The wife has elected to respond in this action to the media and on her social media with vitriolic and unequivocally false allegations. The husband will remain above the fray. And then the second footnote, pursuant to the prenuptial agreement, the residence would be set aside to the husband as his separate non-marital property. Even if the parties had not executed a prenuptial agreement, the residence is the husband's non-marital property, as it is titled in his sole name and is acquired and improved by him with non-marital funds.
2: I also like footnote three. I'm not liking it saying it's good. I'm just, it's entertaining to read. And this again is in Lenny's statements as to why Lisa should leave the house and he should get to stay there.
0: Quite frankly, if the wife were legitimately concerned about exposing the children to Ms. Mazepa, she would refrain from giving media interviews, creating social media posts, and discussing Ms. Mazepa's while filming scenes for her reality show. She not only refuses to exercise that restraint, she seemingly delights in the conflict. The wife could also delete her Finsta account, which is an Instagram account the wife created under a pseudonym to post defamatory comments to Ms. Mazepa's Instagram account. Her vicious commentary can be viewed not only by Ms. Mazepa's 1.7 million followers, but the children, their friends, and the general public as well.
2: In paragraph 8, Lenny, via counsel in this pleading, goes on to make some other commentary. John, read paragraph 8, and then also footnote 4.
0: Paragraph 8. The wife's assault in a series of absolutely false and inflammatory allegations against the husband is a classic case of projection. If her allegations were true, which they are not... She is asking the court to fix a situation she created and could easily remedy. She need only stop injecting herself into the husband's time-sharing and engaging in precisely the exact behavior that she falsely projects onto the husband. Yes, that's right, in a sworn, verified court document, no less.
2: And I cannot believe this is an illegal pleading. This reads more like something from oral argument. It's italicized in parentheses and in bold. So footnote four says... The
0: wife's allegations are, to put it graciously, wildly inconsistent. The wife wants the court to intervene in the husband's personal life because the children have just learned their parents are separating. Yet she claims she should have exclusive use and possession of the husband's residence because the husband allegedly has not slept in the marital residence in two and a half months. The husband filing for divorce on May 20th, 2022 was quote-unquote unannounced, though there were numerous communications between counsel before the filing. The husband allegedly moved out on May 2nd, 2022. The husband has not time shared with the children on weekends. The husband comes to the residence to exercise time sharing with the children three to four times per week unannounced. That word again. Yet arrives at six o'clock p.m. sharp every single time. Make it make sense.
2: Really colloquial writing for a formal legal pleading. Again, sounds more like oral argument. On july twenty fifth, twenty twenty two, Lenny's girlfriend filed for a restraining order against Lisa. Katharina Mazeppa filed this petition for injunction for protection against stalking, and then filed an addendum of facts and evidence allegedly giving rise to the petition for protection against stalking. And it states that about May 2022, Catherine Mazeppa began dating Dr. Leonard Hochstein. Prior to Katharina Mazeppa and Dr. Hochstein dating, Both Katharina and Lenny had begun divorce proceedings concerning their respective spouses. Katharina was married to someone else at the time, who, by the way, was a diplomat and quite handsome. I don't know anything else about him. I just looked at a picture of him. Subsequent to Dr. Hochstein initiating divorce proceedings against his spouse and subsequent to Dr. Hochstein having his first date with Katharina... Lisa began making threatening phone calls to Katharina, creating fake social media accounts and posting threatening and false statements to and about Katharina publicly. The phone call made by Lisa to Katharina and the threatening statements include, but are not limited to, the following. One, you are going to pay. Two, you don't know who I am. Three, I am going to destroy you. Four, you home wrecking whore. Five, you don't know who I am. I have a TV show and I'm going to destroy you. In addition, Lisa threatened to have Katharina deported, despite Katharina having proper and legal documentation to be here in the United States with her 10-year green card. Lisa also threatened Katharina to use her protection in the Bravo series, The Real Housewives of Miami, as a stage to further Lisa's cane of harassment, threats, defamation, and bullying of Katharina through the TV show. I feel like there is a, this is just my commentary, assumption of risk if you are dating a married man who you know is on a reality show. I mean, I feel like that that's, that's a real, there's some real assumption of risk there. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, she knows what she's getting into with this. Like, she's aware that there's going to be conflict, that's going to be very public, and that she's going to be put on a stage during these proceedings, correct?
2: Well, yeah, you know, a way to avoid all of this would be to not date him until his divorce was final, or at least farther through in the proceedings, and maybe not go out with him to nightclubs in Miami.
0: So in a way, she's... She's doing this knowing that she's causing a scene.
2: Yeah. If you go out in public with a married man who is, or woman, or anybody for that matter, who is actually filming a reality show, you've got to know that that's going to be a thing. I'm saying assumption of risk just as a very common sense thing, not saying like, oh, this specific legal concept should apply, but just logically, you have to know that if you go to a Miami nightclub with your still married boyfriend who is the boob god and prominent and has appeared in a reality show before and his wife isn't happy about it, that there's probably going to be some fallout from how, that.
0: How good would it be if Katerina was brought in as another housewife with the other one still on the show? That would be the most entertaining thing. I would watch The Real Housewives of Miami to see that conflict.
2: Oh, I mean, that would. one thing, I've, one thing I really like about The Real Housewives of Miami is that when Lisa announced that this stuff was going on, they all may have their own internal problems or whatever, but they really closed ranks around her. None of them would have agreed to film with her. That would That would be impossible. And it would just be mean. I mean, I know Bravo can be very mean, but that's just mean.
0: Yeah, just say Like, what? That would be mean. That's the whole point of the show.
2: There's a lot more to it. You don't... It's very complex. You don't understand. It's <laughs>
0: Shakespearean. It's
2: Shakespearean. I feel confident that Shakespeare would watch Real Housewives. Oh,
0: no doubt. Yeah. No doubt.
2: Okay. According to Katharina, Lisa did not stop at phone calls and has continued to cyberstalk and bully her online, going so far as to create fake Instagram accounts to further her campaign of harassment, blah, blah, blah. Lisa began cyberstalking Katharina and harassing and defaming her under the Instagram handle KellyAlexa2021, which has been confirmed to be Lisa. Side note too, this is not defamatory. The things, I mean, that were said, first of all, in my And this is just my opinion. They were Lisa's opinion about what was going on. And Lisa is entitled to free speech for her opinion. I'm not saying in any way that this behavior was appropriate. I'm just saying it's not defamatory. Also, Therina is dating a married man. She is participating in these events. And so I don't don't think that's defamatory. She
0: does call her a home wrecking whore. Wouldn't that be defamatory? That's an opinion. Calling somebody a whore is an opinion? Isn't that stating... That they are, in fact, a prostitute, technically?
2: I think you could argue that that was colloquial. All
0: right. I can see that. I just thought I'd ask.
2: It's just, it's her opinion that (laughs) she's a homewrecking whore. (laughs) It's
0: my opinion that you're a whore.
2: So, some examples of the comments from Lisa's Finsta, Kelly Alexa 2021. Solace, trying to get a married man with two young children. Pure evil. Soon everyone will know. Opinion. Homewrecker out with married men. Trying to destroy a family. You should stop lying to immigration. Now, Apparently she wasn't lying to immigration, but I don't know what her damages would be if people think she lied to immigration. Yeah, I know. If she didn't, I mean, what's your, you
0: know? Well, what if that would that call the attention to immigration? So wouldn't that in some way, like even if it was just her making a statement, wouldn't that make at least somebody investigate? I mean, she was
2: married to a diplomat. I'm sure her oh, her okay. immigration yeah. papers are on point. You know, Katharina also states in this request for a restraining order that. In a on May 7th, 2022, Lisa, knowing that Dr. Hochstein and Katharina would be in a certain location out for socializing on Miami Beach, intentionally went to that location and, quote, caused a scene in public by screaming and yelling at both Dr. Hochstein and Katharina, publicly stalking and harassing them both using vulgar language and threats of violence and harm towards Katharina. Katharina states that, As a result of the actions of Lisa, she has and continues to endure emotional distress from the stalking, harassment, cyberbullying and overall actions of Lisa. So this this part I thought was interesting. It says, furthermore, Lisa has gone on a publicity campaign to further her efforts to harass, stalk and smear the good name and reputation of Katharina and to, quote, destroy Katharina. Specifically, Lisa has publicly stated she was blindsided by the divorce and that Katharina is a homewrecker and was in relations with Dr. Hochstein prior to any discussions of divorce between Lisa and Dr. Hochstein, all of which is false. These statements are made with the intent to cast Katharina in a false light and to further harass and defame her and her reputation. Lisa well knew and had discussions with Dr. Hochstein prior to Katharina and Dr. Hochstein dating that they were going to get divorced but were going to wait until after the filming of the Housewife show to announce it. However, Lisa went against that agreement and decided to create a public spectacle on May 7th, 2022, as described more fully above, which this makes me wonder if Lenny was telling Katharina, oh, yes, I'm going to divorce her. I've already told her this. She knows, but we're going to wait until after she's done filming the season of Housewives before we announce it.
0: Is there any, I mean, you might not know this, but is there any sort of contact with Bravo that states that? withholding this kind of drama or conflict kind of goes against why we brought you on to the show? Like, if she kept the divorce a secret, would they be, in essence, pissed off at her for not bringing that to the show for entertainment reasons?
2: I don't think you can contract something like that. Logically, I don't think Lisa would agree to wait to announce the divorce until after the show was done filming. Because, for one, it appears she doesn't want to get divorced. It just seems like she'd be like, if you're going to divorce me... You're going to have to do it with the cameras around. right? And I, I, it kind of just seems like to me, maybe to give Katharina credit, maybe this is something that Lenny was telling her that he had already talked to Lisa about and that that was the plan. And so Katharina thought that these things occurred. These are just this is speculation on my part. Katharina also says that Lisa could not have been, quote, blindsided because as per Dr. Hochstein's public comments. Lisa and Dr. Hoxstein have been sleeping in different bedrooms for months and living, quote, separate lives for months. To the point, Katharina could not be a home wrecker when Lisa and Dr. Hochstein were already separated for reasons having nothing to do with Katharina. So Lisa gets this and then files a motion to disqualify the counsel for Katharina. Lisa states that the attorney's appearance on behalf of Katharina came as a shock to Lisa as that attorney had represented Lisa individually, as well as representing Lisa and Lenny jointly for many years. But explain that, Lisa's saying, look, this attorney formerly represented me, knows many personal things about me, has attorney-client relationship with me, and obviously Lenny's now paying this attorney to file this restraining order against Lisa to try to get Lisa to leave his new girlfriend alone. And Lisa's saying, No, you can't do that. He should be disqualified. There's a conflict. This goes into the ethics rules. Here's the ethics rule provided by the Florida Bar. The former client rule states that a lawyer who has formally represented a client in a matter must not afterwards represent another person in the same or substantially related matter. And then it goes on and says, use information relating to the representation of the client to the disadvantage of the former client and then reveal information relating to the representation except that these rules would permit. The attorney representing Therina states that he hasn't violated any of those rules in his representation, and the court agreed with that. And we'll talk more about this restraining order and what happened with that as we go through the timeline. So on September 6, 2022, Lenny files a motion to enforce the prenup and then a motion to bifurcate the proceedings. The motion to enforce the prenup is exactly what it sounds like, and the motion to bifurcate the proceedings... For some reason, that wasn't available online, and I couldn't download it. But what he's asking for there is essentially to separate the proceedings and have the court either declare the prenup as valid or invalid before making further rulings. Lenny also filed a financial statement, and he states his age is 56, his occupation as a physician. And John, what is Lenny's present net monthly income?
0: Uh, Right now, it looks like it's around $353,000. A month. A month.
2: And as those of you that watch The Real Housewives of Miami know, there was a dispute over whether or not Lisa and Lenny had a mortgage. According to Lenny, his monthly mortgage payments are how much?
0: His monthly mortgage payments are $8,203.20.
2: How much does Lenny spend on monthly meals outside the home?
0: That would be $4,333.33.
2: How much is Lenny's monthly maid service?
0: That is $5,000.
2: How much does Lenny spend on monthly payments for the automobiles?
0: Monthly automobile payments are $10,163.63. You know, what I'm also amazed by is that his monthly alarm service is only $36. Bargain. Yeah. I mean, that's a big house.
2: They might want to. The
0: ring costs like something way more than that, I believe. I, that's pretty impressive. How, gotta,
2: is, yeah, how is that what it gotta is? We got to find
0: out what service they're using.
2: Yeah, because we're getting robbed, apparently. Yeah, Yeah. we're getting robbed. Well, I mean, we're not getting robbed because we have an alarm system, but apparently we're paying way too much if Lenny's house on Star Island.
0: $36. All
2: right. Also, Lenny cites his residential lease expenses as $9,000. John, how much does Lenny spend on monthly babysitting or daycare?
0: Uh, that looks like it's around 6000
2: How much does he spend monthly on clothing and uniforms for the children?
0: That's $1,000 for that.
2: So what's the subtotal for the amount Lenny says he spends on the children per month?
0: Let's just round up slightly. It's $14,000.
2: So, monthly, what is, according to this document filled out by Lenny, what is Lenny's surplus after expenses income a month?
0: Surplus after everything is $251,567.16.
2: Then on October 13th, 2022, Lisa files a motion for attorney's fees. What does Lisa have to say here, John? You can read paragraphs three and four.
0: All right. There is no question the husband is the financial breadwinner and provider for the family. The husband earns millions of dollars each and every year, while the husband has paid his professionals, including his predecessor and current law firm and forensic accountant, well in excess of $100,000.
2: Pursuant to Florida statutes, 61.16, after considering the party's financial resources, the court may order a party to pay a reasonable amount of attorney's fees, suit monies, and costs to the other party. The purpose of the statute is to ensure that both parties— to a dissolution case, have similar access to counsel, and that neither has an unfair ability to obtain legal assistance because of the other's financial advantage. You guys that have listened to our Bethany divorce episodes know that Bethany had to pay Jason's attorneys, which when you're the one that's having to pay both sides, that's adding insult to injury because you're having to pay for your opponent's attorneys who are then attacking you. But there is very good reasons for this, because imagine the disparity if this wasn't a law and one extremely wealthy person could use the full force of the law and an army of attorneys to attack and the other person couldn't pay. So then on November twenty eighth, going back to the restraining order issue, this is November 20th, 2022. Before we talk about What the court ordered with regard to the restraining order that Katharina filed against Lisa, I want to tell you what the definition of stalking is. Florida statutes define these as follows. Harass means to engage in a course of conduct directed at a specific person, which causes substantial emotional distress to that person and serves no legitimate purpose course of conduct means a pattern of conduct composed of a series of acts over a period of time, however short, which evidences a continuity of purpose. The term does not include constitutionally protected activities such as picketing or other organized protests. John, would you like to read what a credible threat is?
0: I really would. Credible threat means a verbal or nonverbal threat or a combination of the two, including threats delivered by electronic communication or implied by a pattern of conduct, which places the person who is the target of the threat in reasonable fear for his or her safety or the safety of his or her family members or individuals closely associated with the person and which is made with the apparent ability to carry out the threat to cause such harm. It is not necessary to prove that the person making the threat had the intent to actually carry out the threat.
2: For the purpose of this discussion it's important to know how legitimate purpose is defined because the communication with the other party has to serve, according to the statute, no legitimate purpose. I was curious about how that was defined, so I looked it up. So communication that is for a legitimate purpose, such as business, child custody, or legal matters, is not considered stalking. Even if those communications are heated. it's not necessarily stalking if the purpose was legitimate. On November 28th, 2022... An order is entered, and it's an order of dismissal for Mazeppa's restraining order against Lisa. And it says, quote, court does not find that the phone call and messages served no legitimate purpose and also does not find that the petitioner suffered any substantial emotional distress. The court basically said, we get it. You don't like it that she's calling you for these things. But these communications had to do with child custody and her marriage and we're not finding that they had absolutely no legitimate purpose and we also don't find that you have suffered legitimate emotional distress which you can't just say i didn't like it it made me feel bad you have to have some substantial proof of the emotional distress in order to prove that on november 16th 2022 lisa renews her verified urgent motion for temporary support and attorney's fees suit monies and costs lisa says The husband has once again canceled wife's American Express credit card. Wife has historically had charging privileges and access to husband's American Express card since 2009. Husband's conduct smacks of bad faith. On November 3rd, 2022, Lisa tried to buy diapers and food for the party's minor child. The credit card was declined. And this says the husband and wife, but I'm going to just say Lisa and Lenny. Lenny is not providing Lisa with any direct support other than temporary access on an American Express credit card that is in the husband's name that he threatens to be returned. He has not transferred money to the wife's bank account in several months. Lenny has even taken away Lisa's vehicle and insists that she utilize a two-door to transport the minor children. Lenny's clear strategy now is to force Lisa into submission by refusing to provide Lisa or the minor children with any direct support. There is no question that Lenny is the primary breadwinner and earns many millions of dollars per year. In fact, Lenny has told Lisa that he will continue to refuse to provide support to her until she waves the white flag. Meanwhile, Lenny just had an incredibly lavish Halloween for which he spent approximately $100,000. Lenny has the ability to throw lavish parties, but doesn't have the ability or desire to provide support to the wife and the party's two young children. And I read it that way because it has a question mark in it. And by the way, I'm reading all of this exactly as it's written, except that I'm replacing husband with Lenny and wife with Lisa. Meanwhile, on Halloween, Lenny removed Lisa's access to all vehicles. And as a result of Lenny's conduct, Lisa and the minor children were forced to travel in an Uber to trick or treat.
0: So if you are looking at this to determine Lenny's strategy, I mean is he doing this just to is this all just pressure to get her to back down? Is that really all this is?
2: Oh, well, I'm going to have you read Lenny's response, so we'll see what he says. Lisa goes on to ask for temporary support for herself and the minor children, consistent with Florida statutes. She says she's in need of professional fees and costs to pay the past and prospective fees, as well as her forensic accountant. On December 9th, 2022, Lenny disputes Lisa's claims. Here's what Lenny has to say with regard to the spending And say Lenny instead of husband and Lisa instead of wife. All right,
0: that'll be a challenge. I'll try. Lisa continues to reside exclusively in the party's former marital home located at 42 Star Island Drive, Miami Beach, Florida, 33139 with minor children and continues to live a lavish lifestyle funded by Lenny, laying out approximately $455,000 to cover household expenses and to provide for the upkeep, support, and maintenance of both Lisa and minor children during the period spanning from May 1st, 2022 through mid-October, 2023, and where Lenny continues to do so. Astonishingly, Lisa has incurred nearly $200,000 in charges between May 1st, 2022 and October 15th, 2022 on an Amex card, which Lenny has paid fully and faithfully each month.
2: Lenny goes on to say that he has categorically and completely negated each of Lisa's allegedly false and defamatory statements and that he delivered a check payable to her in the sum of $5,000 that she accepted on October 26, 2022. And he claims that Lisa agreed to accept a charging limit on her American Express in lieu of receiving the sum of $10,000 in temporary support from Lenny on a monthly basis, which is what Lenny claims is enforceable in their prenuptial agreement. Lenny goes on to say, if any truth exists, to Lisa's allegation that when she attempted to purchase, quote, diapers and food for the minor children with the American Express card on November 3rd and the car was declined, no doubt exists that the wife, who received $5,000 in direct support from husband on October 26, 2022, and who also earned substantial sums from her involvement in casting as a principal member of the Real Housewives of Miami, had the financial ability and resources to purchase diapers and food for the minor children and did not need to rely upon the American Express card to make these purchases. Lenny notes that, quote, it should not be lost upon the court that Lisa continues to use the Instacart app for the purchase of groceries and other household items, which is linked to husband's bank account. If Lisa is truly in need of diapers and food for the minor children, Lisa should have purchased the same with the Instacart app tied to husband's bank account. But Lenny doesn't stop there. John, do you want to discuss the vehicles? I do. Start with paragraph 22.
0: All right. Paragraph 22. Turning to the other patently false and defamatory sworn statements set forth in Lisa's motion, Lisa further attempts to discredit and shame Lenny by alleging that Lenny took away Lisa's vehicles and insists on Lisa using a two-door to transport the party's minor children. Nothing could be further from the truth of the matter, as Lisa has been utilizing the party's four-door 2021 Rolls-Royce Ghost as her primary mode of transportation since the party's separation, which occurred in approximately mid-April 2022, which Lenny's using the party's Range Rover as his primary mode of transportation.
2: Yeah. I'm going to stop you right there. I was curious, because I know that Rolls-Royce is really expensive. John, how much is a Rolls-Royce Ghost? How much does that start at?
0: Uh, The starting price is $400,000, and it's quite a beautiful car.
2: I can't, I mean, I can't imagine driving a car that expensive around Miami. I mean, can you imagine if you, is that your grocery getter? Someone dings. (laughs) I guess if you have enough money to spend close to half a million dollars on a car, you're not, I mean. It's chump change. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> All right, on to paragraph 24, John.
0: Paragraph 24. When Lenny recently requested that Lisa afford him an opportunity to utilize the Rolls Royce Ghost while she utilized the party's Range Rover vehicle, Lisa demanded that she instead use the Rolls Royce Dawn, even though the Rolls Royce Dawn is only a two door vehicle.
2: Okay, so, John, how much is a Rolls Royce Dawn? Uh,
0: that is going for uh, the low price of $359,000.
2: That's the starting price. I mean, this is getting pretty petty. Lenny's pointing out she's saying she doesn't want to use the Range Rover and that she's being forced to use a a two-door car. But then when I asked her to use the Range Rover, she said no and insisted on using the two-door car. On to paragraph 25, John.
0: Lisa refused to even consider using the Range Rover, a four-door vehicle, claiming that the Range Rover was an inferior vehicle and had a damaged headliner, which rendered the vehicle dangerous quote-unquote, because the view is obstructed by hanging fabric.
2: Go ahead and read 26.
0: It should be noted that Lisa, in a childish and immature act of defiance, intentionally ripped down the headliner fabric affixed to the interior of the Range Rover to render the vehicle dangerous as a means of avoiding having to use this vehicle.
2: The parties here are making these arguments, and I was curious how much judges make in Florida. And I think this data is from 2017, so they may have gotten a raise since then. Circuit court judges in Florida as of 2017 were making $160,000 a year, and county court judges were making $151,000 a year. And it's just kind of my way of putting these arguments over who's using which half-million-dollar car in context.
0: It's interesting that you chose judges.
2: Well, the judge is the one that's reading these and is going to decide. A lot of this to a normal person like me or you— I mean, I'm a lawyer, so I I understand having to make these arguments and whatnot, but it's like just rich people that can't get their act together. Right, right. Lenny was also really upset that Lisa brought up the Halloween party. John, would you like to read paragraph 29?
0: Most damaging to Lisa's indefensible claim regarding Lenny's ability to throw an incredibly lavish Halloween party while at the same time not having the ability to provide support for Lisa and minor children, as alleged. Lenny maintains that wife not only attended the Halloween party, which Lenny hosted at the party's former marital home on Saturday evening, October 29th, 2022, but wife also hosted the annual party and invited over 100 guests. Lenny spent approximately $40,000 to host the party and not the sum of approximately $100,000 as falsely alleged by Lisa. Not only did Lisa invite over 100 guests of her own choosing to the party, Lisa also invited at least two male guests who Lisa has been romantically involved with during the pendency of this dissolution proceeding, if not earlier.
2: So I got really curious reading that. I mean, we already know from reading this that Lenny can track what Lisa's doing by what she's spending on the credit card that he pays for, and then also what she's ordering if she uses Instacart. And it made me wonder if he had installed spyware or something else on her phone, and if she's still using a phone that Lenny pays for and could it be considered Lenny's property. And Florida, if I recall correctly, is a two-party consent state. So if you're recording a conversation, both parties have to consent to the recording. A lot of states are not two party consent. So if just one party consents to the recording, i.e. the person making the recording, then that's not illegal. But I was curious if it got into kind of murky territory, if Lenny owns the phone that she's using, and it's his phone that he paid for on his phone plan. And even if he didn't put tracking software on it, he could get all the itemized bills and see who she's calling and the phone numbers and do research that way.
0: Is this the first time this is dropped in these proceedings that she's had uh, uh, relationships during this time?
2: I can't say that for sure. There's a lot of pleadings in this divorce, and I, I have not read all of them. That would have taken way too long to prepare for the episode. And I can't see all of them. There are some that are filed, it looks to be under seal or just are not available. Did get curious, so I looked it up Florida statute 934.425 says a person may not knowingly install a tracking device or tracking application on another person's property without the other person's consent. And then for the purposes of this section, a person's consent is presumed to be revoked if A, the consenting person and the person to whom consent was given are lawfully married and one person files a petition for dissolution of marriage from the other, or the consenting person or the person to whom consent was given files an injunction for protection against the other person. It does seem like there's a maybe a loophole there. And I would, again, Florida attorneys, if you want to leave comments when we post about this episode, if the person paying for the phone who owns the phone and has the contract with whatever phone company it's with, if that person can put spyware on the phone, it seems like no, but I, I don't know. There is a Florida case called O'Brien versus O'Brien. And in that case, the husband and wife were seeking a divorce prior to a hearing. The wife had installed certain spyware program on the husband's computer. The particular program intercepted emails and electronic communications at the time they were either sent from or received the husband's computer. And then routed a copy of the intercepted message to a special file on the computer's hard drive. The wife would then access the secret file and retrieve the intercepted message. The wife attempted to introduce the messages she intercepted using the program which showed her husband having an affair with another woman. But both the circuit court as well as the appellate court denied the wife's request to admit the communications into evidence. The appellate court found that the wife's actions were a violation of Florida law, and therefore the intercepted communications were properly excluded from evidence. But there's also, in addition to that, there's federal laws. So the Federal Wiretap Act has previously been deemed to apply to married couples, and there's no, quote, interspousal immunity for wiretapping under the statute. And it found that each spouse has an individual expectation of privacy in communications covered by eavesdropping and wiretapping laws that the marital relationship does not preclude. But not all courts agree on what a reasonable expectation of privacy is in a marriage. You and I both have each other's words to everything, not because we want to spy on each other, but we often forget what our passwords are right. stuff. And, you know, we both know the codes to each other's phones, but that's also because That's just easier. It's not like we're trying to... Well,
0: we trust each other in that regard.
2: And we both voluntarily have tracking software on our phones because we're both notorious for leaving them in Ubers and then the one person can find the other person's phone. By the way, that happened last time we were in Las Vegas. And without that, on my phone, we would have never found John's phone.
0: Oh, I leave my phone in cabs just every vacation we go on.
2: It seems like we take turns on who uses their phone. So I also feel safer... With John having an app on his phone that shows where I am, if I go running and... If you get taken. Yeah, if something you know, happens. You have think, to
0: go Liam Neeson on this.
2: Yeah, I just feel a lot safer with John being able to look at and know where I am all the time.
0: I do have a question about this. So what if he had somebody else place the spyware? Say like an expert, a private detective or something like that. Would that be then it's not he didn't do it, somebody else did it?
2: No, or... it's his agent that did it, so it still counts. Oh, it's
0: still... Never mind. Okay. Yeah.
2: Just to commentary here, if you're in a relationship with anybody and you feel the need to put this type of tracking device without telling them on their phone or computer or something else, and you're not married, don't get married.
0: It's really solid advice, Angela. <laughs> Just, It's not setting a good precedent.
2: If you can't trust that person to use their phone or their computer and you're not even married yet, why would you marry them and then give that person the right to control what happens to you if you're in a coma or something? Mm-hmm. Or have children with them? If you can't trust them before you're married to do these things, then how are you going to trust them with basic things?
0: I think the coma rule is a good one. Yeah. I think that's a solid, what would he, she do if I was in a coma?
2: Are you marrying someone that you 100% trust to make good, ethical, correct, competent decisions if you are in a coma? Because legally, that's what that person is going to have the right to do. If you are marrying somebody and... You do this thought experiment and you think, oh, if I were in a coma, I couldn't trust them to do anything. I can't even trust them to remember to bring milk home from the grocery store or respond to a simple request. Don't don't marry them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Don't marry them. If you're worried about the nurse in the room and your husband, don't marry the husband.
2: Yeah. Or wife. Or wife. Or anybody of any gender. Just don't.
0: All genders are included in this.
2: Yeah. Everybody's shady regardless. Yeah, everyone's shady. Regardless of gender, or sexual orientation, everybody has the capacity to be shady.
0: Everyone can be an asshole. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm glad we got that figured out.
2: Here. <laughs> also, most states have computer crime laws that generally prohibit unauthorized access to data. For example, Texas Penal Code 33.02, a person commits an offense if the person knowingly accesses a computer, computer network, or computer system without the effective consent of the owner. Effective consent includes consent by a person legally authorized to act for the owner.
0: Okay, so that's interesting. So does that mean if they share a computer at home? Or no, say she has a work computer at home that's kind of her computer. I couldn't go on it and snoop around legally?
2: Okay, there's actually a case specifically on that issue that I read that I'm not going to be able to quote exactly. But that specific thing came up. I think this was in Texas. This case is in Texas, but I am not entirely sure. But in that case, the wife, prior to anyone filing for divorce, took the husband's computer out of the backseat of the car and got information off of it and discovered that he was having an affair. However, the court in that case determined that the computer was shared property Because kids used it for their homework, the wife used it and was able to log into it all the time for household things that she was doing and for her own email, and she knew the password to it, and no one had filed for divorce yet. So the court determined that the computer was a shared computer and that the husband didn't have an expectation of privacy on that computer, and because so many other things were done on it that it wasn't just a work computer. Not entirely sure if that was in Texas, but I did read that case when I was searching for this episode. The point is, if you feel tempted to do any of these things, and you are not married yet, probably not a good idea to get married or maybe seek some counseling or something to see if it's your own issue or an issue with the relationship. Two, if you are going through a divorce and you're tempted to do any of these things, talk to a competent attorney in whatever jurisdiction you're in before doing any of it, because you could potentially be subjecting yourself to criminal and civil charges. The courts don't look favorably on those types of Laws being broken, particularly in a divorce proceeding. I also want to thank Nicole Toback. She practiced family law in Miami-Dade County. I spoke with her, and she pointed out a couple things. One, in the episode where Nicole and Alexia are going through attorneys, Lisa hired arguably the best divorce attorney in Miami, and that Nicole would know because he was her lawyer in her divorce prior to Anthony. So that was pretty interesting. And we also got a submission from Lisa Robinson, a family law attorney with 35 plus years of experience. And she's based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and is at Rosen Law and is a devoted Bravo and Housewives fan. One of the things that Lisa Robinson wanted to point out was that a prenup doesn't solve all the problems, and that's obviously clear here. Lisa says this divorce between the, quote, boob, God, and his perfect wife is providing many examples of how bitter a divorce can be. Just so much to unpack. The nightclub encounter, Lisa's emotional breakdowns while filming, Lisa's talks with her friends, mother-in-law and housekeeper, the girlfriend, Katharina Mazeppa's attempt to obtain a restraining order against Lisa, Lisa's claims that she can't provide basic necessities for their children, Lisa's Amex card being denied, the list could go on and on. But one interesting point in this divorce, Lisa and Lenny had a prenup. A prenup is a private contract between two people who are getting married, detailing how their assets and marital obligations will be handled when the marriage is over. However, this prenup doesn't seem to be working. What an understatement. According to Lenny's June 2022 filed motion, he asked the court to intervene in his, quote, motion to establish separate residences, which we covered on the podcast. Lenny claimed that his and Lisa's prenup stated that he would be able to keep the Star Island mansion, which we discussed. Lisa says that even though this divorce was filed back in May 2022, there seems to be no quick, easy resolution. And unfortunately, it looks like the terms of the prenup that they signed before their 2009 marriage is definitely not answering all of the issues that this couple are facing. Discussing prenups could go on for hours, but this bitter divorce is one example of when having one is just not resolving all of the issues between the couple. So Lisa, thank you so, so much. So one of the things I wanted to point out, too, as we're nearing the end of this present discussion on Lisa and Lenny's divorce, obviously they're nowhere near to finalizing this yet. There are multiple hearings scheduled for March of this year to determine a lot of these things that they've been arguing about. As of right now, Lisa is still in the home in Star Island. Lenny is with his girlfriend on his fancy condo in South Beach. And there's just a lot of things that the court has to decide. I want to thank Nicole Toback for collaborating with me on this issue as well and pointing out, again, that prenups cannot contract for children's issues and also for providing some context about Lisa's divorce attorney. According to Nicole, who practiced in Miami-Dade County, in family law, Lisa's divorce attorney is arguably one of the best in the entire state of Florida. So that is good for Lisa. And thank you again, Nicole. I really appreciate your help. And it'll be really interesting to see what the court determines as to the enforceability of the prenuptial agreement. Okay, you had questions for me.
0: Actually, I do. This is a subject change. I'm curious about something that's big in the headlines right now. This is something that I'm very interested in. And it's the uh, Alec Baldwin uh, 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 case where he accidentally uh, fired a live round on the filming of Rust and uh, killed, um, I believe, the cinematographer perhaps and now i i don't know and then he also wounded the juror i believe as well but it was supposed to be a what do they call them uh, what do they call those bullets
2: blanks blank thank you
0: i went blank uh and he accidentally uh killed and then injured another person and then it's recently come out that he is being charged with involuntary manslaughter as well as the prop armorer of the production is also being charged so I was curious if you could go into that a little bit. My my first question is what exactly does involuntary manslaughter entail? Like what does that what does that mean? It seems like a uh, a pretty major thing to accuse. It seems I mean it's like one step away from just murder in my mind. So w- could you go into that a little bit like what is involuntary manslaughter?
2: Well, first, involuntary manslaughter is defined as the unintentional killing of a person through either criminal activity or through doing something reckless. So that's what involuntary manslaughter is.
0: Right. And looking at the case, looking at what you your basic understanding of, I mean, we haven't done a ton of research and you haven't done a ton of research. And we're just kind of impromptuly talking about this. Do you think that that is the case, that Alec Baldwin is potentially guilty of that? Or do you believe that they're reaching at this point or just trying to find somebody to blame for the situation?
2: I haven't been able to read all of the legal pleadings on this, but just my gut reaction is that the purpose of criminal punishment is to deter and to punish. Now, in a situation like this, I don't think anyone has any doubt that Alec Baldwin will never make this mistake again. And even just the existence of this occurring... I think, will deter other people from being anything. But and when I say this occurring, I mean the death will you know definitely deter anybody on set from being anything but cruciatingly careful in these types of situations. I haven't seen any evidence that Alec Baldwin was drunk or had known that there was a chance of a live bullet being put into the gun or in any way that could harm anybody. I feel like just the act of having accidentally killed someone is punishment in and of itself. No one's claiming that this was in any way intentional. And in order to prove this, they have to show that it was reckless, which means it goes beyond ordinary negligence. Negligence is the failure to use ordinary care. Reckless is the complete and utter disregard for safety. There's been a year of investigation into this incident. I haven't seen anything that definitively shows that everybody was recklessly negligent on this and that it was anything but a horrible tragic accident. My other problem with this is just thinking as an attorney that by filing these criminal charges it's going to impede any civil action but if the family of the individual that died files a civil lawsuit or wants to file a civil lawsuit and this criminal case is going on then Alec. Baldwin is going to, in testimony and everybody else that's been charged, plead their Fifth Amendment right to avoid incriminating themselves. And so that's going to delay any monetary recourse that the family could have.
0: I wonder if this is actually more because it's you said reckless. And I wonder if it's actually I mean, the concept of production still using just guns with bullets in them, even if they're blanks, could potentially from this and from the incident that occurred decades ago in The Crow. Uh, would be just the idea of it reckless. So it could possibly mean that we could see in the future in Hollywood and in any film production, no more blank rounds, no more like actual real guns on set. So I wonder if that's actually like the, if there's some overarching sort of uh, agenda with this, where they just want to see that go away entirely.
2: Okay, I just Googled and it says that New Mexico's worker safety agency in April fined the film's production company for $137,000 for what they described as, quote, willful safety lapses. And civil suits against Baldwin that are pending have claimed systemic cost-cutting led to dangerous conditions on set, allegations that Baldwin and the film's production company have denied. So those aren't settled. Even if the prosecutors are successful, which I think is going to be difficult, convicting Alec Baldwin of this and putting him in jail for five years— or finding him a ton of money isn't going to bring this person back. But the family, and if these, you know, the person that died had any children or a wife or anything else, a settlement in a civil case could actually substantially help them, and a criminal charge is going to impede that, like I said, because of the Fifth Amendment issues. Also, involuntary manslaughter charges, if you're drag racing somebody else, on a public highway and then you hit somebody and they die or if you're driving drunk or doing something else inappropriate while you're driving and then you kill someone, that's typically the type of thing that you see for an involuntary manslaughter charge. I don't know all the facts but this seems like a big reach to me and I just don't see the value in it for use of public tax dollars or for the general theories of crime and punishment.
0: Do you think if Alec Baldwin uh, wasn't behind the gun if he hadn't fired the gun. He is a the, one of the probably if not the main producer of the independent film. Do you think if he hadn't fired the gun they still would be gunning for no pun intended uh, Alec Baldwin in this or would he be would he be just fine at that point in time?
2: Are you talking about for the civil issue or the criminal? The criminal. I don't think even these prosecutors would have tried to file criminal charges against him if it were if he wasn't the one holding the gun. Unless he was the one specifically in charge of ensuring safety, or if he was the one that instructed everybody not to follow the safety protocols. Unless there was something like that, I can't see them pursuing criminal charges if he's not the one that actually fired the gun. Okay. But civilly, I think he would have gotten sued no matter what, because he was a producer of the film. And then it's the question in a civil lawsuit is how much, who can pay, and where will the money come from? And you know he does have seven kids, but he's not exactly poor.
0: So one more question and you might not be able to answer this. Um, but I learned a lot about this from I think it was cnn.com and what I read was straight from the mouth of the district attorney that's going to be leading the charge in the case and uh, the district attorney was asking for 600,000 something dollars in funds to 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 help with this case against Baldwin. Do you in any way think that something like this and or does this happen often where you think potentially that this is a, a a district attorney trying to just get a high profile case for them to progress their career a little bit? Or do you think that this is actually something that's worth the time of the district attorney?
2: Man, you're making me give my opinion on a lot of stuff. As of right now, with the limited amount of information that I have, no, I don't think criminal charges are helpful or a useful expenditure of the taxpayer dollars for the citizens of New Mexico. I mean, I I don't I don't see this benefiting the citizens of New Mexico. I don't see it benefiting anybody. And I don't I don't think Alec Baldwin needs these criminal charges to deter or punish him from ever doing this again. You know,
0: right. Do you think that Hollywood in general should just stop using guns and blank rounds in on set at this point in time, just due to the implications of or the, the potential this happening again?
2: Man, you're asking me a lot of questions. We can stop. I don't know because i don't I don't know how I don't know how it works on movie sets. Movies have all kinds of dangerous stunts and things. I don't even know how blanks work in a gun. I don't understand how you could ever have a blank in a gun and have that accidentally be a bullet. I don't know enough to answer that question.
0: All right. Well, I don't really have any other questions about that. I just thought it was hot in the news right now, and I was curious to get your take on um what's going on. With the Alec Baldwin case,
2: It is interesting in the stuff that I've just quickly Googled. I guess Alec Baldwin has said that he did not pull the trigger, but an FBI forensic test of the revolver found that it functioned normally and would not fire without the trigger being pulled. Quote, Mr. Baldwin had no reason to believe that there was a live bullet in the gun or anywhere on the movie set. He relied on the professionals with whom he worked, who assured him the gun did not have live rounds. We will fight these charges and we will win. And this is from Alec Baldwin's attorney. Firearm guidance from the actors' union instructs performers to treat guns as though they are loaded with blanks and rely on weapons handlers to instruct them on use, including when they can safely point a firearm at someone on camera. Quote, an actor's job is not to be a firearms expert or a weapons expert, the union said, slamming the district attorney's charging decision as uninformed. Most actors have never even fired a real gun before. They have zero knowledge on handling firearms. It's up to the armorer or the prop master to show them how to do that. I mean, money can help the families, criminal charges. I don't see, I mean, I don't know. I don't see how that's going to help.
0: Well, does the district attorney have a choice?
2: Yeah, it's called prosecutorial discretion. That's really?
0: So if a crime's been happened, a crime has happened. This technically is a crime.
2: Well, aco- the, I mean, district attorney, the district
0: the... attorney has a, a, the right or the ability to say, no, we're not going to pursue this further. They can't just blindly say, no, that's a crime. We have to do it no matter what.
2: Yeah, there's it's a concept that applies everywhere, and it's prosecutorial discretion. The district attorney of a county the prosecutors in federal court, they are supposed to use prosecutorial discretion, and it's up to them to decide as to whether or not a certain crime should be charged and how that crime should be charged and what – Government resources should be used to prosecute things. And they're absolutely allowed to do that. Police officers have discretion as to whether or not they're going to give you a speeding ticket or a warning. I just see this as a huge uphill battle. If this prosecutor spends all of this money to prosecute Alec Baldwin and then loses at trial, that's going to look really bad. So, I mean, the prosecutor is taking a big gamble here as well.
0: Right. All right. That's all I have. That's all (laughs) I have to ask you about this case.
2: Thank you, John, for participating in this.
0: It's my pleasure.
2: All right, legal team, that's the end of this episode for now. Sessie's trial continues, but we're excited to have her back for the next episode, at which we are going to start our Jersey episode extravaganza. I believe our first episode is going to cover the allegations regarding the Manzo mob ties and the various criminal proceedings and family drama involved in that as it relates to the legal proceedings and then our episode after that we are planning on covering the gorga's many 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 legal issues and lawsuits patreon members we encourage you to ask your questions on there as well so we can make sure to answer them in the episode and i just want to thank you guys again for listening thank you so much for leaving the nice reviews On iTunes. That really means so much to us and we are so grateful for it. I've said it over and over again, but Sessie and I, when you guys leave your really insightfully written, smart, interesting, and funny reviews and commentary, we screenshot them and text them to each other. And sometimes it makes our whole day. Don't forget to follow us on our Instagram, our Twitter. We had a super fun time at our Supreme Court Patreon last week. Thank you to everyone who participated in that. If you haven't already, get your tickets to watch what crappens and see them live. They are amazing. I unfortunately have my real legal job getting in the way of me going to the Austin event. So two of our Supreme Court members got my front row tickets. But I am hoping to make it to another one where my job won't get in the way and perhaps go to crappens in San Francisco with Sessie. But Ceci will still be at the L.A. Crappens show. And again, 10 of 10 recommend. It's amazing. You have no idea how talented these guys are if you don't take the opportunity to see them in person. Finally, don't forget our Amazon finds. And you can click on the link in our Instagram bio for that. When you click on the link, the Amazon finds are the first link. And we have links to everything else in there as well. And then we also have our website, at thebravodocket.com. Thanks again for listening, Legal Team, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have more questions, ask them on our Patreon or comment on our Instagram post. Bye, Legal Team.
3: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network.